We're going to start this, uh, this journey through Galatians. It's really a great letter that Paul writes to some people that he cares about deeply. And uh, he is concerned that they're losing some of their freedom. Uh, are you familiar with the movie Braveheart? All us dudes, uh, especially. There is the great, the great uh, speech. Well, there's many quotes in there in the movie. But William Wallace tells his men right before they enter into battle, a fight and you may die. That kind of sounded like him, didn't it? <laughs> no. All right. Run and you'll live at least a while and dine in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies? And here's the great line from the movie. <laughs> Man, that... <laughs> I'm not going to do it again either, okay? They may take our lives, but they'll never take what? Okay, that was good. Thank you. All right, that helped. Redeemed it a little bit. Uh, he's concerned about their freedom, obviously. They're willing to give their lives for it. Paul has a strong, strong uh, statement in his letter where he is concerned that the people are losing their freedom. And one of the reasons that Jesus came to earth was for freedom. Luke 4 is one of the scriptures that talk about this freedom that he would offer. He comes to earth, he begins his ministry, and in Luke 4, verse 18 and 19, he says these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He grabs the scroll, he's in the synagogue, he's telling all these religious leaders and people that are there, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's quoting scripture and he says, for he has anointed me to bring good news, the gospel, to the poor. And he continues on and says, he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, will be set, what? Free. Freedom. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He has come to free people. Jesus really, for many, equals freedom. The reason this series is called Travel Lightly is because if we replace the gospel, the grace if we replace Jesus or it's Jesus and, if our lives turn into an attempt to please God by what we do, sacrificing grace, what God has done for us, if we do all that, then we um, carry heavy baggage. It is a burden to walk around as a Christian living that way. It's like stuffing your backpack so full that you cannot carry it upon your back but you drag it around anyways. Some of you may feel that way. You don't look at Christianity as the free life. You don't know really what it means when Jesus says, listen, I came to give you life and to give you a full abundant life. Really, he's saying freedom. Maybe, like me, because it's so ingrained in me, this, this gospel is for me as well. It's for everyone. I constantly need it. Because I have ingrained in me this idea that if I could just do more, God would love me more. I believe in Jesus, but really it's Jesus and what I do that pleases him, that gives me salvation. And if we feel that way, again, that's a heavy, heavy burden to carry. It's some serious baggage. It's a giant weight upon your life. So Paul writes, and we'll, we'll hear this over the next six weeks, we're going to look at this in various ways. 
We're going to hear the gospel and grace, and we're going to talk about legalism and different things. So everything I give you today, I want to give you a little background, and then I want to give you a few things to take away today. But uh, we're going to hear these things over and over again, because Paul, if he was writing today, he would probably need to write the same words, and he really does to us. We need these words repeated over and over again to us. He writes to this community of churches, not just one church, this letter to the Galatian churches around A.D. 50. So what's shocking is this isn't too far removed from Jesus. Like he was just here. <laughs> and he already has to address some serious problems because people are burdened and hurt and struggling. They've gone back on the gospel or moved away from Jesus. What is the gospel? Let's talk about it briefly because it kind of will now come up multiple times throughout this letter. The gospel is really good news. It speaks of good news. So if you want just a simple definition, it's the good news. The good news of what? It's the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel. But we can have various definitions and forms, and we're going to talk about it multiple times throughout the next six weeks. And we will continue always to talk about the gospel in some ways. But really, here's a simple definition. There's many more, um, many Great scholars have done way better than myself and others. We can look throughout history. The gospel is basically this. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us. He rescued us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him. And then he restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with one another. Now, that's important, not just for eternity, Salvation is also for now. So Jesus rescued us by what he did for us, his death, burial, resurrection. That's the gospel. He's given us new life so that we can live together with one another, with him, in right standing with God forever. And also right now. So the free life isn't just freedom. When we get to heaven, we are to live free with him now. And that's an important thing for us to remember. This good news is that the one and only holy God made us right in his image. He wants us to know him. That's good news. This holy God desires relationship with us. But we know that sin destroyed that opportunity, so something had to be done. Jesus took care of that on the cross. God became man in Jesus lived the perfect life, died on the cross, was buried and rose from the grave, took upon himself the punishment that we deserved for sin. And by turning to him and trusting in him, we now can be in right standing again. Through his death and resurrection, he showed that uh, we can have a new life. So Galatians, it's gonna come out that you can be a new creation not a new life one day, but the possibility of new life today. And that's important for us to remember as well. He now calls us to live out a repentant life because of our sin, trust in Christ alone for our salvation, for our forgiveness. And if we do that, then the Bible tells us that we're born again and have this new life, this new creation. That's good news. Apart from him, I am nothing and no good. 
but with him, man, it means everything. Let me read one of the many scriptures that talk about um, this salvation message, this good news, this gospel. This is just one of many. This is Ephesians chapter 2, um, a few verses. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Yes, I was. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger because of that sin, just like everyone else. But then he continues on and says this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. The moment I start trying to do things and please him more and make serving Jesus a list that I can't even fully check off all the boxes on, I, I can't do it, I begin to take credit for it. Do you see that? It's Jesus and it's not supposed to be, though. Then I think, man, I read my Bible enough and prayed enough. I can check those boxes. So he owes me now. But this tells me that it's Jesus. It's by his grace and his grace alone that I am saved. What he has done alone. God saved you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. There's that new creation. He has created us anew, Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago because of him. That's good news. That's great news. The law um, cannot justify me. My good works cannot justify me. Jesus does that. So freedom comes from the penalty of sin because of what Jesus has done. I now have right standing before God. That's called justification. And we'll get into more of that later. I'm also free. One of the things that Jesus does in me there is he frees me from the power of sin. I'm, I'm becoming conformed to the image of Christ. So salvation comes, I'm justified, I'm in right standing before him because of what he's done. Now, I'm living this life of sanctification. I am becoming, because of what he's done, more like him. This is how I live, even in my imperfection. This is why I work and strive at times, not to earn my salvation, but to become more like him. That's what I want and desire. That's sanctification. It's a process of spiritual formation. Paul now is going to attack this because his people that he loved, that he helped pastor, he helped start these churches, he's so concerned about them because they've turned it into something else. Jesus and the law. Jesus and these rules. Jesus and the list. And so Paul declares this freedom, this 
salvation, this grace. He declares this gospel and he defends it strongly and he is not shy about it. He's kind of red hot in this letter. I would love to see a picture of him writing it. I can imagine him at a table and the pencil is, or pen or ink or whatever, is just wearing down. He needs more because he's so, like, I don't know if he's like cursing or what in his, you know, Hebrew or Greek, but he is just hot. Like, I cannot believe these people have turned on Jesus. Why are they doing this? And he's just going off in the letter. Or if someone's doing it for him, he's uh, letting that guy have it, and that guy's writing it down. I don't know how it's working, but he defends and declares this gospel. God's story and the people's freedom is on the line. And this is so important to them and to him. His life is a testimony to what Christ has done. Why wouldn't he stand strong in this? If we desert the gospel and desire to please people over God, then we lose God's power in our lives and we lose our peace. We struggle with these things. So let me read to you a little more background to what Paul is addressing specifically and what was happening. We don't know if this letter was written right around this time when this happens, but it's in Acts 15. I want to take just a little extra time and read this story so you can see it. Maybe you can go back and consider and think about it as well. But this is why Paul is kind of writing this letter. While Paul and Barnabas, it says, were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. So Someone comes in, you could say, to the church and begins to teach the believers, those that have received that grace and gospel that we just spoke of, these people come in and begin to teach. And they say, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Don't worry about circumcision. We're not going to talk about circumcision. I'm not going to have any photos up or graphs or anything like that, all right? If you don't know what circumcision is, talk to somebody after, you know, Google it, okay? Maybe you could do that. But be very careful if you're going to Google it. That's probably not a good idea. All right. Sorry about that. Don't do that. Do not Google that, all right? Okay. But don't worry about circumcision. It's the law that's coming in. Do you see the strong words? Someone is actually coming in and saying, listen, I know they're not even denying Jesus. It's Jesus and you, you can be saved if you also get circumcised, if you keep the rules, keep the law. You could be saved if you do these things. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with him. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. This has come up. He's, he's hot about it. He was one that previously Paul was completely opposite. He was holding people to the law, and he was killing Christians. So he understands all this. God has just done a whole 180 in his life. So he is upset. So he's going to go talk to the elders, to the other believers. He's going to talk to the leaders of the churches. The church sends, them, sends these delegates. Um, they stop along the way. They visit some believers. They told them much to everyone's joy that the Gentiles were being converted as well. They're talking about all these things. And uh, it says, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Bar Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Here it is again. So the apostles 
and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news, the gospel, and believe. God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. They received the gospel by faith. So why are you now challenging God? By burdening, there's the heavy baggage, burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. It's a yoke, it's a weight. It's wrong, he says. We believe, we believe that we are all saved by the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. That's how we're saved. Why are you doing this? Why is this happening? And Paul addresses these things strongly. He'll say even later in Galatians, Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in, by the slavery of the law. Don't be burdened and broken by this and carry that heavy weight. The slavery of the gospel of works versus the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of works is legalism, performance-based, working in our own power, our own rules, working to earn God's favor. Some of you, maybe you have history like me. I think I got saved every Sunday. I think every Sunday I got saved because I was worried throughout the week that I had lost my salvation. You know why? Because I was never good enough. The truth is, I'm still not good enough. That's why I need Jesus. That's why I need Jesus. And every time I'd blow it, I think that he was sending me to hell again. Every time I did something wrong, I think my salvation got stolen away. And suddenly I realized at some point, I never will be able to follow Jesus. I'll never be able to make it to heaven because I'm not good enough. And that was a performance-based salvation that I had. That's why Paul will hotly address these people. When following Jesus turns into a to-do list, then living a free life with him turns into the bondage of legalism. Jesus offers freedom. Legalism, all it's going to offer us is slavery and some heavy baggage. All right. So now Paul addresses this problem. And he'll do it in Galatians uh, chapter 1. So go to Galatians 1. Um, I'm going to read through parts of it, and then uh, I want to give you some thoughts to take away today. Uh, so that's kind of the background, so that when you hear the gospel and good news, we understand what he's talking about and the problem that he was dealing with. So he writes this letter. He says uh, that Jesus has um, given him the authority to write this 
And uh, he's sending it to the churches in Galatia in the first couple verses. He talks about that. We pick it up in verse 3, and he says, May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins. There it is. There's the gospel right there. Just as God our Father planned in order, here's a little more, to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. Amen. All glory then. Because of that, all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. He lays the foundation right out of the gate. Here's where we're going. Here's what I need to address. And then he continues on in verse 6 through 10. And he says, I am shocked, he tells the people. Again, uh, reading that, I don't know if the people would have been as, as happy because you get a letter then. Y'all sit down like this. And I go, hey, we got a letter from Paul. Guys, it's going to be awesome. All right? It's going to be great. It's going to be very encouraging. Paul always does, always does that. You know, his letters he writes. And so uh, we open it up, and uh, I read it to you, and he starts right off, and he says these nice little things, and then he says, I'm shocked. You ever, like, that makes me think of my parents, right? I am shocked at you. It's, it's like that. Not I'm, like, I'm shocked, you know, or <laughs> at that joy. It's like, I am shocked at you. Sit down. I need to talk. Does that... That really stirs up some stuff in some people, huh? You need healing from that, right? I am shocked. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. Ooh. It's oh, encouraging, yeah. Who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ? There's the gospel again. The loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way, a different gospel that pretends to be the good news, the gospel, but it is not the good news at all, he says. I'm shocked that you turned. So Jesus was just on earth. He just died. He just rose from the grave. We have barely gotten going and scratching the surface on this whole thing, this movement. And I cannot believe that you've turned around and are doing something completely different now. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall. And then he gets really like, if, man, you're one of them. He says, let's. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven, for that matter, who preaches a different kind of good news gospel than the one preached to you. I say again that we have, as we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Well, that's pretty strong words, isn't it? Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. Well, ain't that the truth, Paul? He's almost like, I don't care what anybody thinks. They can be cursed. It is against God and it is wrong. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Therein lies one of the problems for me, I know, is my tendency to want to be a people pleaser. How has that worked for some of you? It's, it doesn't mean that we don't want people to be happy. It's just that sometimes we can go a completely different way and usually the wrong way if my goal is to make people happy and please them. And I struggle with that, especially as a leader and in the church. I want everybody to be happy. And that doesn't work here. Doesn't matter what church you go to. Doesn't matter probably what even business sometimes or all that. You can't always make everybody happy. So Paul's addressing this because they were just trying to please one another, or please some leader, or do something, and they've missed out on the power of God and the peace of God. 
Well, that's why he's so strong. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So he goes on and uh, he says these words then in 11 through 16. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense to others. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Christ did this in me. Christ changed me. Christ gave me this word. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it, consult with any human being. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions, the law of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news, share the gospel about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. It says he went into the desert. He then would confirm with others. He did all this, and he received from God this transformation, this work, this message of the gospel. And uh, he was not trying to make everybody happy with some other way. The end of chapter 1 says, The one who used to persecute, that's him, is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And people praise God because of what God had done in him. This gospel worked in Paul's life. So he's not sharing some human idea. He's sharing a God idea, and he's living that transformational work. He's experienced the gospel in his own life, and he says, listen, this gospel disrupted my life, changed my life, controls my life, and it changed man, everything about me. Why? Like, I'm proof of it, he says. And I was the, he'll even say in other letters, I'm the worst, and look at what it did in my life. You know this. So why in the world have you let some Judaizers, some people outside the faith come in and now tell you something completely different? And what he's going to do in the rest of the letter is he's going to talk about that in various ways. He's hot about it, and he's going to, he's like, he's like Paul just going off on the people that he loves, not just for the sake of being hot. He's doing it because it's doing some damage, and it's created a heavy burden, some heavy baggage for the people. And so one of the things that I want to leave you with today is this idea that the gospel is going to disrupt our lives. It's going to confront us in some way. That's what it did in Paul. And so he's going to address that in various forms. Um, there's this idea called, I've, I listened to a teaching from a fellow pastor that I really enjoy and have met and talked to. And I listened to him uh, share about this disruptive gospel. And uh, he talked about, maybe some business people know this, this disruptive innovation. If you're familiar with it, then you may know about it. But if not, here's kind of the basics. Uh, Clayton Christensen in the 90s came, came up with this term and this kind of theory and idea in business. And it's this process by which a product or service initially takes root in simple applications um, at the bottom of the market. And typically, 
Um, it's something that's less expensive, more accessible, and as it grows, it moves up the market until it eventually takes over. Um, they're not necessarily these disruptive innovations. They're not necessarily breakthrough technologies that make good products better. Rather, they're innovations that make products and services more accessible to people and affordable, um, thereby making them available to a larger population. So let me give you an example. Like one, uh, if you read about it, is TurboTax. And I bring it up because it's tax time. I know that's evil and horrible, right? Um, so tax time's here. In the past, accountants were mainly what we would use. Now, I know there's, this is going way back, but that's, you had to take, and some of you still do, take your taxes to the accountant, and they gotta, you gotta pay them money, and they do your taxes, and they work through it, and whatever they do, right? Then this thing called TurboTax comes along. More accessible to the people for a lower price, and eventually what happens is it takes over so much that it, it takes over the market. Now, you can go, in, now there's other even programs like that, right? Now you can go even for free. I do my taxes online, myself, and I don't pay a penny. The other thing that happens that's probably even a better example is Netflix. You guys know what Netflix is? <laughs> so what happens is, there was a day, antennas, you remember these things called antennas that we'd put on the TV with foil wrapped on them, you know that stuff? The kid, the kid would go, my dad would say, go hold the antenna. And I'd have to stand at the TV so we could watch it so that it, a signal would come. Did you guys have to do that? Was that just something that my dad tricked me on? Well, eventually, what comes along is as that technology grows, cable comes into play. But we got to pay a lot for cable, don't we? It's an evil thing in this world. But then something like Netflix come along. I don't have cable. I don't, I don't, I got you know, I'll pay for 50 other things, but I won't. <laughs> but Netflix comes along, and it's more affordable and cheaper, right? And it becomes, it's, it's uh, disruptive innovation. It disrupts and changes things and eventually takes over. Well, the gospel can be disruptive. And let me tell you in some ways that it can when Jesus becomes the center of all things. So he does this in Paul's life. And then Paul's gonna address this. Why have you replaced it with other things? Why are you pulling in the old ways? Why are you making it Jesus and? The gospel comes into our lives and it disrupts our lives. When Jesus becomes the center of my life, something has to change. So it then becomes disruptive. The first thing that it does, just real quickly, I'll run through these things. I want you to think about them during the week. And then as we look over the next six at Galatians, this will come into play even more. But the first thing it does, it disrupts what I believe. One of the things that the gospel comes in, that's why Paul is addressing this, is the gospel disrupted the lives of Christians. It changed everything in religion. Suddenly... There was control and authority by the religious leaders. They made you do certain things. For example, to be saved, you had to be circumcised. So he's addressing that one particular thing because it was a major problem. The gospel comes in and disrupts religion when it says, you don't need that. You only need Jesus. You receive grace. You have faith. You give your life to him. 
you are justified by what he's done for you, it disrupts religious life. One of the things that the gospel has done in me is it has done that very thing. It's a fight, but it is a, a point of disruption, confrontation. It attacks all the things that I try to do, that I try to make religious legalism. It, it disrupts how I approach you as people in a community of believers. It changes how I approach religion even in another country sometimes when I go there. Israel and, and when I was in Jordan. It has disrupted my life in such a way that I suddenly need to change, reconsider, rethink. In a lot of ways, I could even say like uh, disruptive uh, innovation, it has made Jesus more accessible it has made God more accessible. Before, I knew of a holy God, but I thought I could have no contact with him, especially each week if I blew it and sinned in some way. Oh, I repent, but then I'd have to get saved again. God kicked me out, then he brought me back in. Kicked me out this week, brought me back in. Now suddenly, the gospel comes in, and I realize, yes, he's a holy God. He hates my sin, but man, he's accessible to me. I can have a relationship with him, and he wants one with me. Though the, the Bible is important to read, prayer is important to do, it takes away none of that importance. But by how much I do of that, determine how much God loves me. And that's important for us to remember. For some of us, this is just really ingrained. My mind goes way back to like, like wearing suits in church and stuff like that. I went through a period of time, if I wasn't wearing a suit, like they let me take the tie off on Sunday night service. But, you know, it's, it's crazy now. I wear a suit for a, a funeral and a wedding usually. Otherwise, I don't want to get in a suit, okay? But, man, as crazy as this sounds, there was a period of time, it, it's shocking to even think about, that I put a little bit of my salvation on what I wore. What I What I wore. I mean, I could go down the list of all the things where they turned into Jesus and I got to wear a suit. Jesus and I need to do this more often. Now, I may need to do this more often in some way, but it's not for my salvation. It is for my sanctification. The process of whom I'm becoming helps me know him better. But, and this gospel has disrupted everything that I believe. It also disrupts not only what I believe, but the way I live. My life, what I choose to do and not to do. Frees me from the weight of sin. It liberates me. You could say, like Paul, um, like others, I once was blind, but now I see. Everything about what I do and how I do it has changed because of the gospel. An old life is gone. Changes how I approach people. The gospel has really disrupted, you could say even interrupted and confronted whether I forgive or not. When I understand the true gospel, that God has forgiven me, the gospel comes, the good news comes into my life and causes me, forces me. Now whether I choose to do it or not, God leaves that up to me, but I am confronted and my life is disrupted 
when someone does something against me by this good news that says, Ron, I have forgiven you. Can you forgive them? It causes me to, to look at people differently. The gospel disrupts the way I live. The gospel also disrupts the way I look at myself and others. So one of the things that's happened when the good news of Jesus entered into my life, when Christ did, this disruption caused me to look at myself differently. Again, Paul will address this many times. The old life is gone. You have a new life. You're a new creation. One of the scriptures said you are a masterpiece. We are called in Galatians and other places a child of God. So the gospel came in, and though I recognize myself as a sinner, though it may speak to my character, like what I do, the gospel comes in and says who I am. The gospel comes in and says, Ron, you are a child of God, and the enemy comes in and says, no, you aren't. You're horrible, Ron. The gospel comes in and it changes the way I look at myself. It speaks to identity. Do not feel like children of God. Because this past week you didn't please God enough by what you did. And my challenge is to allow the gospel to disrupt that thinking and believe what God says about you in his word. The gospel also disrupts not only how I look at myself, but it's how I look at others. So one of the beautiful things that we see that we that we see in the scriptures and we see specifically in Galatians I'm going to jump to chapter 3 we'll come back to it in a few weeks but look at what Galatians 3:26 through 29 says for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus this is your identity my identity and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes we're new people we have an old life we've got a new life like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The gospel disrupts my life, confronts me, not only how I look at myself, but how I look at others as well. Talk about life transformation. The gospel coming in and changing how I look at others. This is how we deal with at least partially. There's a lot of practical things to do it. But what if we believe these things? Would it not change how I look at color or race or the good or bad? Would it not change how I look at people, period? The gospel has so much changed me when I go to Israel and Jordan. Man, when I first went there, I'll tell you what, especially Israel, I had such a hard time with anyone there that wasn't Jewish. Because I just figured they were all terrorists if they weren't. And so I had to sit down with families and see them from the eyes of Jesus. That is not my nature. That is the gospel entering into my life and saying, this is a human being here. That's a child. When I go into Jordan and, and and met these people in August when Scott and I went. It changed how I look at all the people there. It even changes how I look at someone of another faith. 
whether I agree with them or not. The gospel interrupts, confronts, disrupts what I think about others. And it should. And when it disrupts all these areas of my life, it then frees me up to share the great news. Now, that's what Paul says. This is what it's done in me. Why are you allowing it to be something else? Oh, and this is why I share my freedom. This is why I challenge a different gospel. I think it's really hard for us to share, some of us at least, to share the good news because the truth is, if you believe in Jesus and, if there's a legalistic part to it, then guess what? Let's be honest, it's not good news. It is not good news. You know, a lot of times too, if we're, if we're out there and we share, hey, come with me to church. Um, you know, a lot of times people ask, I brought this up earlier, you know, with the suit thing, but what, what do I wear? Can I, I don't know, wear clothes at least. You know, we, that's a, we got one rule. One, we do have one rule here, wear clothes, okay? <laughs> Come as you are. All right. See even that? What good news is there if I have requirements before you can even enter into the building? That's not good news. It's bad news. Hey, you can come, but you got to clean yourself up first. Get all your stuff together, and then you can come to church. People actually believe that. Why don't you go to church anymore? Because I'm not living a good life. Come. Welcome home. That's good news, that you could come home. That's the, that's the, the father welcoming a son who blew it big time, who threw a party for him. Come home. Welcome home. That's good news. And man, it's not if I put a bunch of junk on you. He said it's a yoke. It's a burden. You can come, but you got to wear the right clothes, say the right things, act the right way. Then you're welcome. The gospel comes in, though, and disrupts all that. If you receive this gospel, it is going to mess with you. And I pray that it messes with you a lot. <laughs> I wonder, where is the gospel? This question is going to sit up here. The worship team is going to come. Where is the gospel disrupting and confronting your life? And I laid out a bunch of stuff to you today. There's a lot behind this that we did not explain, but we will as we move along here. But where is the gospel disrupting and confronting your life? Do you allow it? To do that? Do you receive it? Is there anything, any place where you have added to the gospel, the good news of Jesus? Do you realize maybe today, at least it's a thought that you can think throughout the week, have I turned the gospel into, it's not circumcision, but hey, receive Jesus, oh, and also do all this stuff too. Do I have any of those thoughts and beliefs? I pray that the gospel will disrupt your religious life. I pray that the gospel will then also disrupt the way you live. That if you're living in some way 
that is not of God, that the gospel, the good news, will tell you that you can be forgiven and free, that you are welcome home. Is there a place where the gospel needs to confront you with identity? Do you still live under such a, a heavy weight, some heavy baggage? You're not traveling light because you've been told that you're a horrible person. You've taken what others have said possibly, and maybe you place God in that category. It's too late for you. It's over. You're too far gone. You're, you're no good. You weren't good. You're not good right now. And someone's told you you're never going to be enough. But we follow a gospel, a good news of a great God. That's not his language. Maybe it's how you look at someone else. Maybe some of you in here do struggle with race issues the way you look at others who don't agree with you. Maybe there's some other places where the gospel needs to form what you think not only about yourself, but what you think about others. Maybe it needs to disrupt some of that thinking. And so I pray, uh, I want to pray now, and then I want to address one more thing um, before we take communion. Take just a few extra moments today. And I want to just leave that question up there during communion as well. When they sing, we'll we'll. we'll take it off, but um, I want to pray and ask that the gospel over the next six weeks, and then all, all the time, really, will just disrupt and mess with us, right? I pray, I pray that it does even more. Father, we need that. I need that. The gospel's for everyone. I have never not needed you. I have never arrived and won't, and I thank you that the good news has entered into my life. The good news is Jesus. Jesus, you equal freedom. Disrupt our areas of religious life. Where are we adding to the good news of you, Jesus? Disrupt our lives in such a way that we live differently and disrupt our lives to an extent that we look at ourselves differently as your masterpiece, new creation, holy people because of what you've done for us, not because of what we do. May we be confronted with how we also look at others. May the gospel, the good news, Jesus, you change the way I look at other people. May I see them with hope-filled eyes. People that need to receive good news. So may you, Jesus, disrupt our lives each day this week. In your name we pray, amen. All right, one other thing before I let you take communion. We take communion each week here. And it is the gospel in bread and juice form. We thank him for what he's done for us, that we are justified because of his death. We remember that he gave his body, that he shed his blood, that he is the price paid that we could not pay. But I want to also just take a moment and I want to address, we had a tragic week uh, with another school shooting. And uh, there are some brokenhearted people sitting in church today that have lost their kids. The gospel disrupts our lives. We need it to disrupt our, disrupt our lives too because we are prone to sin. People have sinned and done evil acts. And I pray that the gospel enters into their lives more and more so some of that changes. 
Listen, I know it sounds simplistic in some ways, but really the answer to a lot of this is Jesus. It really is. There are practical things that need to be done. There are, you know, national things that need to change. Leadership needs to make decisions. I get all that. But the truth is I have some great news that Jesus can change the lives of people. Now, the gospel disrupts and confronts, but I want today to also pray that the gospel will comfort. So just as much as it confronts, the gospel comforts people. Jesus, living on earth in Luke uh, 11, has lost one of his best friends. The sisters are brokenhearted. He enters into the village, he sees them all weeping, and before he raises Lazarus from the grave, new life, transformation, before he does that, the gospel Jesus enters into their lives, and it says, when he saw them, the Bible tells us that he wept as well. That he paused for a moment. Before he did this amazing miracle, he stopped because his people were broken and hurt. The Bible tells us that God is close to the brokenhearted. Jesus, the gospel, confronts and comforts. So this week even, we're gonna encounter people that need the comforting gospel to come in. May you be that to people. Christ in you, working through you. But Father, this, this moment we ask God, that your unbelievable, gospel-filled comfort will enter into the lives of a broken nation and broken people, and today specifically, broken families and students and teachers. God, we need answers. We need practical help in so many issues. But right now, we need the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Jesus, your very self, to be the gospel of comfort into those that are broken, those that are brokenhearted, those who have lost and are sad and hurting. God, we ask there in Florida that you will touch these families, these people, these friends with your grace, your love. God, we weep and mourn with those that weep and mourn today. We need you, God, more than ever. So be with them today. And may we this week not only allow the gospel to disrupt our lives, but be comfort for those around us as well. In Jesus' name, amen.